Hi, good morning. Thanks, Nate. That was a good job, wasn't it? Um, so um, we are continuing, as uh, Kevin said, in the book of Kings. Uh, we just finished chapter 17, and we're about to step into chapter 18. Um, I would like to remind you that the book of Kings is written um, from what will become known as the Babylonian exile, several hundred years after the events described. At this point in the book, the kingdom of Israel that was founded under Saul and then David and Solomon is divided in two. The northern kingdom is called altern alternatively Israel or Ephraim or Samaria. Samaria is the capital. And uh, they've had a string and will continue to have a string of um, evil kings. Now, in history, however, uh, some of these kings are very well known and are known in sources outside of the Bible. So to say that they were bad kings, a lot of times we think, well, they were incompetent or they, they didn't know how to be a king, and that's not really the case. They, some of them were very good kings, but evil in the eyes of God. Uh, there was hardly ever more than two or three in a line. There would be a, a king, maybe his son, maybe his grandson would become king. Then that line would be wiped out and they'd start over with a new, a new line. The southern kingdom is called Judah, um, after the main tribe that was in Judah, or in that area. And that's the tribe of David and um, Solomon. And uh, they had sometimes good and sometimes bad kings. And they had some that were a mixed bag. They have a king who was bad and then turned good, or a king that was good and turned bad. And um, it's an interesting story. And they are all from the line of David. So it's an unbroken line from David through um, in the southern kingdom, and actually in the New Testament we find all the way to Jesus. The king of the northern kingdom at this time is Ahab, and the king in the southern kingdom is Asa, and we're around 870 B.C., so you can kind of get an idea of how long ago this was. So I'm going to ask you a question. Um, do you ever wonder why God allows evil to flourish? Right? Yeah, whether that be evil people, right? Um, rapists, murderers, serial killers, etc., or um, evil nations, right? Why, why these evil kings? Why put up with them? Um, the Nazis or, you know, uh, communist Soviet Union, the Mongol Empire, right? Um, these situations where it seems like God has allowed things to go on and on and on. Um, but there's one thing I know about you because I know it about me. Um, I like having second chances, right? I mean, there's a lot of situations in my life where I'd really like to go back and uh, get some second chances, some things I'd, I'd like to have some redos. Um, it's, yeah, if you've got kids in school, you know that nowadays... It wasn't this way when I was in school, but nowadays you get to redo, right? You don't get the grade you want on your test, you retake it and get a new grade. You don't like your assignment grade, you just redo it and turn it in. I guess that's okay, as long as you're learning, but, um, you know, in life, we don't 
really get redos. Um, and even more than that is, uh, do you give redos to others? Now, I've been criticized for, you know, sometimes allowing people too much of a benefit of the doubt. Um, but we don't tend to want to do that. We don't tend to want to give people the same amount of redos as we would like to get ourselves. Um, but, um, you know, we, we know people who've done this, right? We know people who, whether it was on our behalf or maybe for a sibling, our parents put up with a sibling and keep taking them back, right? Over and over and over again. And we think, what are you doing? I mean, can't you see? Can't you see that you're just, you're being taken advantage of? Why don't you do something? Why, why don't you step in? Why don't you take care of that? Why do you keep going back to that well? Right? That's a good question. The interesting thing that you find about God is um, that's the kind of God we have. We do have a God of second chances. We have a God who will pursue us. He will... Uh, he desires us to come to him with our brokenness and get a second chance. And he desires us to do that over and over and over again. Um, one thing that we often see or we often think is, you know, if I could just make one big grand gesture, if I could just have that one big, that one important conversation this person will straighten up. This person will return. This person will get it together. We, we think that way, but I think our, our experience would tell us otherwise. So today we're going to talk about a story that's a little bit like that, where someone has an opportunity, they're given one big grand gesture, and how they deal with that will be interesting. So before we get started, Anytime you're reading a narrative story in the Bible, I give you a little bit of a hint on how to, how to read, right? Try to, try to imagine yourself as one of the characters. Put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself, how are they feeling? And then reread it with another person's perspective, somebody else in the story. And if you read it through several times and put yourself in the feet of these various characters, it will give you more insight into the story. So who are our characters? Well, our characters in this story are, of course, Ahab, the king of Israel. We've been talking about him. Um, Elijah, who's a prophet of God. We were introduced to him in chapter 17. Israel, which is a group of people, but that's one of the characters in the story. This is God's people in the northern kingdom. And then there's these guys called the prophets of Baal. Um, these are people who lead the cult of Baal. They're the priests and prophets in charge of the religion of Baal in the northern kingdom. Then we've got some minor characters. We've got a guy named Obadiah we're going to meet. Um, he's Ahab's servant. Now, he may, he's, is a, he's a follower of God, but he's in secret. And that becomes important. Then, of course, there's Jezebel. We heard about her last week, too. She's actually a Sidonian from north, north of Israel, and she is characterized as an evil queen. And then there's one last character, and that's Elijah's servant. Then there's, we don't want to forget, because these are actually the two main characters, is our God, Yahweh, the Lord, and 
then, of course, there's Baal. So we start off in chapter 18 and verse 1, and we'll just read and see what the author wants us to understand. But first, let's pray over the, the sermon. Father, we ask for your guidance today, ask for your insight. Help us to read this text and see what, what you would have us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So, later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him I will, that I will soon send rain. So last, last week, if you, were, if you were here watching, you know that in chapter 17 that God had told Elijah, Go tell Ahab I'm going to send a drought. There's not going to be any rain because of how evil he is, hoping to get Ahab's attention. So like we said, we're around 870 B.C. is the event. We're 150 years before what would be the Assyrian conquest of Samaria. So Israel has 150 years left. Remember, you're reading this many years in the future, knowing that these events have already happened. And we're around 100 years after David and Solomon. It's the third year of the drought. Now see, here's something that we don't often see in the biblical narrative, because there's been three years that's passed since chapter 17. We a lot of times miss that as we're reading that there's a passage of time that's occurred. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So three years have gone by, the famine's become, become severe, and you know, a lot can happen in three years. And evidently a lot has, as we'll see. Verse 3, so Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Now Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. So we're left to ask, well, when the heck did this happen? That wasn't in chapter 17. So evidently, this is an event that has occurred, and we're meant to fill in the gaps. We don't know who this Obadiah is. He may be the same Obadiah. There's a book written by a prophet named Obadiah. It might be the same guy. We don't know. Um, the killing of the prophets, we, we've got no record of that. Um, now, remember your external context, right? You're in Babylon reading this. You know about that event. You remember it from history. You know it from your history. You've been taught that. You may remember from time to time, the author of Kings will say something along the lines of, aren't the rest of the events of this king written in the annals of the kings of Israel? And we're all have to ask, what annals of the kings of Israel? No, I don't know about that book. Well, there were uh, these other books being written at the time, but these, this is the one that was preserved. We just don't have those. But we know there are sources of, of information and history available to the exiles and to the people at that time. The scholars now think that this killing of the prophets was kind of Jezebel's way of um, taking care of the drought. See, for the ancient peoples, um, the gods were territorial. So if you wanted Baal to act, which she believed in Baal instead of Yahweh, if you wanted Baal to act, then you needed to get rid of anything having to do with 
the Israelite God. Now, just a little footnote here for you. Anytime you see the, the word Lord written in, usually in most, most Bibles, it'll be in capital letters, but small. Look, they're smaller than the rest of the text. That's where the Hebrew word for the name of God is. That's Yahweh. And some translations will actually put that in there. They'll actually put Yahweh instead of the Lord. The Jews wouldn't pronounce the name of Yahweh, so they said Adonai at that point. So we don't know how they said the name of God. Adonai means Lord, and so in the Greek translations, it was translated as Lord. So in Jezebel's mind, if Yahweh is the one who caused the, threat, the drought, according to Ahab, then the thing to do is to get rid of all the worshipers of Yahweh, and then Baal can step in. These guys are in the way of Baal doing his bit. At least that's the way they thought. So verse 5. Now Ahab said to Obadiah, We must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went the other way. So the narrator draws us in, right? We're seeing this. We're, we're, oh, the, the conflict is set up. Something's going to happen. Now, it seems obvious that Ahab has given no thought to just repenting. Elijah told him, because of the way you're acting, we're going to have a drought. Ahab could have just, okay, well, I repent. I'm sorry, God. Yahweh is God. We're going to go that way. I don't care what Jezebel says. But his response is to just try to find a way out of the problem. We're also reminded here that it's now become dangerous to be a follower of Yahweh in Israel. That's something that's hinted at in the text. But Obadiah is fearful. And he's had to hide these prophets. So it wasn't enough that Ahab and Jezebel introduced foreign gods. Now they are actively oppressing those who choose to follow Yahweh. So the, the author is inviting you to respond to this, right? You're to respond to this with a, you know, something ought to be done about this. This is a bad situation. I wonder if God will act. So verse 7, as Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground. Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Now remember, Elijah's been in hiding. God has hidden Elijah in verse 17. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. So it seems that now God is ready to use Elijah. He's had him in hiding, had him in training. Now he's ready to use him. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about Elijah going through a student period. Right now he's about to become a servant. And this is something we see over and over again in the biblical record. Could have God moved without Elijah? Could have he done what he wanted to do without using Elijah? Well, sure he could have, right? But God shows over and over again that he chooses to accomplish his purposes using people. Using Elijah or David or Moses or whoever, or us. He wants to partner with humans. He wants to work through humans to run this world. So verse 9, 
Oh, sir, Obadiah protested. What harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched in every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time he was told, Elijah is in here, King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear to the truth of his claim. And now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here. As soon as I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to I don't know where. And then when Ahab comes and he can't find you, he'll kill me. Obadiah's like, dude, are you kidding me? I'm not going to do that. And here's another of these little droplets, right? The, the authors like to put these little droplets in there. You're supposed to see here that, that well, wait a minute, Ahab has some power. He can pull this stuff off that he's doing. In spite of the fact that he's an evil king, God is allowing him to act. He's allowing him to do the thing he wants to do. And so he's able to exert his influence over the surrounding nations when, when as he's looking for Elijah. Verse 13. Yet I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? Well, they may have told him, but they didn't tell us. I hid a hundred of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water. So here's another little hint. Anytime you see an, the author repeat himself like this, tell something like this and use the exact same words, you're supposed to pay attention. This is supposed to like click in your head. He's the second time I, he brought that up. Why? Right? Because he's telling you that the backstory to what uh, he's, uh, the story he's telling you is important. The backstory tells you that the actions about to be taken are going to resolve that situation in some way. That Jezebel's actions are about to be dealt with. Verse 14, and now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here. Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. Verse 15, but Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. Listen, don't worry, it'll be okay. I'm, uh, you don't have to worry about it, just go do it. Now, there's something very important here to n- notice, and this is another one of those little ding, right? You hear these little ding, in whose presence I stand. When did Elijah stand in the presence of the Lord? We didn't see that in verse seven, chapter 17. Who, let me ask, answer this question for you, who stands in the presence of God? Angels, right? Jesus, who stands in the presence of God? That's a big deal. This is very significant. If Elijah is claiming that he's somebody who stands in the presence of God, he stands, his status with God is a very high one. But we've not been told that until just now. A little, little hint, right? The authors love to do that. Love to just drop these little things in there and see if you catch it. Verse 16, so Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, 
So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Now, you see Ahab's reaction here, right? This is what we all do, right? We shoot the messenger, right? Ahab, want, you're the reason we're having a drought. And so Elijah's response is, it, you know, it's not me, it's you. You're the troublemaker. You're the one who's brought all this on us. But Elijah goes on. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. Now, we need to talk just a little bit about who this Baal and Asherah are. Um, It's very difficult for us to understand the level of depravity that existed in these ancient pagan cults like Baal and Asherah. And I, I really, I don't have words to describe how bad it is. I, I, I've never seen anything like what this was like. Um, see, their belief was that Baal and Asherah would come together every year to produce the conditions necessary for crops to flourish. And this god and goddess would join together. And um, so what you would do if you wanted to worship them is you would go down to to the temple and you would engage in a ritual sexual practices with the prostitutes down there. And that would um, prompt Baal and Asherah to continue making the land fertile. Nice way to have a religion. And from time to time, you'll see in the Bible these mentions of these Asherah poles. Now, scholars are a little divided about what these things actually look like. But if it is a fertility religion, it doesn't take much imagination. And, um, you know, you would go, going down to the temple to Africa, offer sacrifices would also include a sexual encounter with a prostitute and they were both and both males and females were expected to do this and there were both males and female prostitutes down there and I guess you got the pick Um, and if you were a good citizen this is what you did right if you don't do this you don't care about the crops see that that's what was in their head if you don't go down and engage in this practice, so everybody did it, because you don't want to be a bad citizen. And if you had a son or a daughter, there was no higher calling than to have them chosen to serve at the temple. And of course, the priests, they're always on the lookout for fresh, I mean, likely candidates. So there's kind of two sides to this. Um, there's, I, I'm going to say positive. It's not really positive. But on the one side is um, this idea that it's an honor, right? So I went down to, uh, to Cozumel and watched this Mayan ball game thing, right? And, they, and I always thought that back when the Mayans were doing their thing, right, that the loser was sacrificed to the gods. No. The winner was sacrificed. 
because it was an honor to be sacrificed. So they hoped they would win the game so they could be... Isn't that crazy? And so on the flip side of this, though, you can just imagine the scene if you've got a beautiful daughter and the priest comes calling. Right? Because she's going to be chosen for this. And you have to like it. Right? So, Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is one of Baal's cribs. Um, As the storm and rain god, he's the equivalent of the Greek god Zeus. He's the god of lightning. So, starting in the fall, when the winds come off the Mediterranean and the warm air climbs up that, those mountain slopes around Mount Carmel, that forms rain. When I lived in Tucson in July, you, would, you could see a storm forming up in the mountains and literally watch the clouds roll down the mountainside over the city to form, to form rain. And so that's what the, the people who lived in Canaan would see. They'd see these storms form over areas like Mount Carmel, roll down the Kishon Valley into the, towards Jerusalem, and provide the rain needed for their crops. So it makes sense for, you know, you, if you're going to build a temple or worship a, the god Baal, that would be one of his spots, right? You want him to be up there. You want to attract him. To that spot. So verse 21. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord, if Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were silent. Now this wavering and hobbling is an interesting word. It's a Hebrew word, Pasach, and it, it literally means hop over. It's the same word used in Exodus for the Passover, when the, the angel of death passed over the Israelites. He Pasached them. But it can also mean limp or dance. So it's a, got a lot of nuances of meaning. How long will you dance you know, back and forth between one God and the other? Make up your mind. Um. The New American Standard Bible says, hesitate. How long will you hesitate between two gods? See, for the Israelites, or the existence of what we'll call small g gods, the small g gods, the existence of those was never in dispute. They believed that other spiritual beings existed and that the one true God, the capital G God, Yahweh had created them. We, we refer to these as angels and demons in the New Testament, right? Those, those are spiritual beings that God has created. So Elijah is offering them a very real choice. If you want to follow Baal, stop pretending. You've got to make a decision here. You can either worship the one true God, or you can worship an inferior created being. You need to understand what that means, though. That that other thing you want to worship 
He's not looking out for your best interests. All you got to do is look at the way you worship him. He doesn't have any power not given to him by God or not allowed by God. Baal would be what we would call a demon. So they're worshiping a demon by worshiping Baal. Elijah doesn't pretend like he doesn't exist. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. It's not, you know, odds are stacked against me. Now bring the two bulls, the prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And you'll remember we've talked about before that calling on the name of something, right? That implies trying to get its power. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And the people agreed. It seems they're truly interested in finding out, right? Let's see. I mean, we've been told by all these prophets that we need to follow Baal, but, you know, Baal can't do nothing. I want to know. I want to know where the truth is. So let's do it. So, verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, many of you, choose one of your bulls, prepare it, and call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to the wood. It's only fair. Go first. 450 of these guys, they're crowded. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. So we've got the scene, right? The conflict is set up. Then they called on the name of, the, of Baal from morning until noon. So, you know, four, five, six hours. They're calling, oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal. There's no reply. And then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. Same word, pasak, dancing and hobbling. This is the exact same word that was used earlier, right? That's not a, they're, I'm like Jethro Gibbs. There's no... There's no coincidences. This is on purpose. You're supposed to catch that. They're doing the same thing the Israelites have been doing between God and Baal. About noontime, <laughs> Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he said. For surely he is a God. Surely he'll listen. Now, Translators have a dilemma, okay? When, when a, the Bible uses a euphemism, they have to decide what to do with it. They can translate it literally and leave it up to the reader in English to figure out what's being said. They can, translate, they can use a similar euphemism, or they can just state the actual meaning. Fair? So, in the book of Genesis, we have this phrase, Adam knew his wife. What do you do? Do you translate it, Adam knew his wife, and let the person in English just decide what that means? Do you use a euphemism, a similar euphemism? Do you say Adam slept with his wife? We all know what that means. 
Or do you translate it and say, Adam had sex with his wife? Your choice as a translator. And so you have to decide what's the best in that situation. In that situation, Adam knew his wife is the best because we just dealt with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and there's all that going on, right? But, you know, other situations you might not say it. You might not use that. So translators have to strike a balance between maintaining decorum and revealing the true nature of what's being said. Right? That's hard to do. So Elijah goes on. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Maybe, oh, I know, I know. He's relieving himself. Now, the word there is one of those words. This is the only place it's used, and we're not real sure what he's getting at. It means literally turn aside. It's pretty obviously a euphemism and probably not a nice one for sitting on the toilet. And, you know, the NASB just says, gone aside. The, the King James Version says pursuing. Oh, that's not helpful. The NIV says busy. Busy, eh, maybe. Um, the common Jewish Bible says on the potty. Um, the New Living Translation we're using here, it's being pretty polite. But let me tell you, Elijah is not being polite. So you fill it in with whatever you want, right? Elijah is mocking them. He says, perhaps he is daydreaming. Maybe he's beep. <laughs> and then he goes on, beep, 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 beep. Yeah, Elijah, oh, I know, I know, I know. He's asleep. You got to wake him up. Yeah, that's it. Maybe he's, maybe he's waking up. Or maybe he's taking a trip. Oh, no, 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 no. I know. God's in the bathroom. That's where he is. Come on, cry louder. And on and on and on. Elijah goes, letting him have it. This is very insulting because Elijah knows that no God does any of these things. There's a spiritual being. Whether they're a created spiritual being, an angel or a demon, or whether it's Yahweh God, they don't have to go to the bathroom. Look at Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps or takes a trip or is busy in the bathroom. It goes on. They shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. Now, why did they cut themselves? Well, this is interesting. Uh, evidently, there's this myth in Canaanite religion where Baal goes to the underworld. Kind of the whole, the guy goes to the underworld during the winter and then comes back in the, in the spring and all that stuff, right? And Baal's sister, Consor, we're not sure. The, little, the details are muddy. But she cuts herself in grief to get his attention. And then he returns, see? So if you want Baal to come back and make your crops fertile and get with Asherah, you got to get his attention. 
And the way you get his attention is you cut yourself. So that's what they're doing. They're jumping around, cutting themselves, calling out the bail. Verse 29, they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound, no reply, no response. It's around 6 o'clock. Elijah's turn. Okay, guys, that's enough. He's not going to respond. It's my turn. I'm up. Elijah called all the people. Come over here. They crowded around as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Again, little detail. What altar of the Lord that had been torn down? We, we didn't know there was one there. Evidently there was. And the assumption is, again, that this was part of what Ahab and Jezebel had done. Destroyed the altars that people had put up for Yahweh. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Notice that he uses, he's including all 12 tribes, even though they're divided, right? As far as he's concerned, it's still one people. It makes one wonder that if any king, especially of the northern kingdom, had truly turned to God wholeheartedly and humbly, would God have restored the United Kingdom? And interestingly, Ahab's family tries to do that because Ahab's daughter Athaliah will marry Asa, who's the king of Judah, Asa's grandson. But instead of them getting together and restoring the worship of Yahweh throughout Israel, they introduce Baal worship into Judah. So ironically, they go exactly the opposite of what we wish they would do. And no doubt what God wishes they would do. Verse 33, Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces and laid it, look at all the detail, lay the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over their offering in the wood. Now don't miss the significance of these people pouring water out when they're in the middle of a drought, right? And a lot of water. After they had done this, he said, do it again. And then when they were finished, do it again. Third time. As they did, they did as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the, the prophet, walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. Now, one of the striking things you often see about prayers, especially in the Old Testament, is how often God is called on to remember his promises. I've picked up on that in my prayers. I'll pray to Jesus to remember his sacrifice for me. Seems odd to have to remind God, but I think he wants us to. Because in that, that reminding, we remind ourselves. Prove that I have done all this at your command, O Lord. Answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. 
Now, there wasn't really any mention of Elijah getting these instructions. Evidently, he did. It's just implied. But that's something to remember. This story is not put here to be a model for us to follow. We're not supposed to do what Elijah did, right? God has instructed Elijah to do this. Also notice there's no jumping, no crying, no cutting. And God, you bring these people back to yourself. Remember we said God is constantly pursuing his people. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And that, as they say, is that. When all the people saw it, they fell face down the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. I think I'd be convinced too. It would be great if this was the end of the story and all Israel, including Ahab and maybe even Jezebel, left the Baal worship behind and followed Yahweh. But any student of biblical history knows that that's not the case. Sometimes you hear people say, if only God would do something like this for me, I'd be solid. The story of the Bible is, that's probably not true. We are fickle. Verse 40, Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them. And Pastor Chris would say, that is so gangsta. Now, if you're a little disturbed by this, you probably should be. Um, but it shows what happens when people stray from God, because everybody gets touched by the violence, even the good guys. The reality of our world is that we need hammers. We need rough men ready to do violence. This and other passages about God, when they're looked at in isolation from the larger portrait the Bible draws, can result in a very distorted view of God, right? Um, we've got a complex portrait of our, of our God, and how, who he is and how he interacts with humans. And there's a certain amount of risk that God takes by doing that, by relying on people. Now, we don't have the larger historical context of this, but I have no doubt that any modern squeamishness or righteous indignation that people have about this action would be flipped on its head if people understood what we were talking about with the prophets of Baal and how they were. The same people who are shocked by the behavior of Elijah, would be calling for the heads of these prophets themselves. Like we said, these pagan temples were cesspools of human filth and corruption. Think for a minute what it must have meant for there to be temple prostitution at these shrines and how that opens up society not just tolerate, but celebrate the exploitation of, weak, of the weak and powerless. Now let's ask, ask ourselves a question. Do you think that if any of these guys had raised his hand and said, I repent, I, I, I've been wrong, I've been wrong all along, I, I want to follow Yahweh, I don't want to follow Baal anymore, 
Do you think they would have been spared? I mean, time and again, we're reminded that God, that's what he wants, right? Ezekiel 18.23, just one example. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Of course not. I want them to turn from the wicked ways and live. Evidently, not a single one did. Not a single one said, I, me, me, I, I, Yahweh's God, I'll follow him. They were willing to go to their death for this, for Baal. Then, now we're wrapping up. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. I, I have a feeling Elijah kind of wants Ahab to go and think about things, right? Think about what you just saw. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. I think Elijah's learned to just wait, right? God said he's going to do what he's going to do. Then he said to his servant, now remember what we said, put your, you're the servant, right? Go and look out toward the sea, and the servant went and looked, and then returned and said, I don't see anything. Evidently, the servant hasn't learned to wait. Why didn't he just go and look and sit there until he saw something? Um, seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I see a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. So again, anytime you see something happen seven times, pay attention, right? That should be making some bells go off thinking about creation, right? God is the God of creation, right? Seven times. Oh, yeah, he creates the rain. He's the, he's the creator God. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds, and a heavy rain brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the, to the entrance of Jezreel. So we're done. That's the text. So, the big showdown, right? You'd think this would be the end of things. Ahab sees the power of God decides to stop following Baal. But we know that's not the case. So some questions. Why did God not deal with Ahab from the very beginning? Why put on this show? Why put up with these people? Why put up with Jezebel? Especially since he knows it's not going to work. Why this big thing? Well, here's a clue. And Second Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants to give Israel and Ahab and Jezebel as many chances as he can to repent. No one can say he didn't do enough for them, right? And within the larger plot of the Hebrew Bible, this shows us the need for the Messiah, for Jesus. Because even if God does something like this, it's not enough, right? So, let's land the plane. Um, who do you identify with in this story? Right? Ask yourself. Elijah? The people? The prophets of Baal? I'm not. Right? Um, what does God have to do to get your attention? 
Right? What, what would it take to get your attention? I don't do we, would you say, if I was there, I'd be convinced for good? Well, the message of the Bible says that's not true. We're fickle beasts. We're changeable. We constantly dance back and forth. I know I do. But imagine your life if God hadn't had to give you second chances over and over. Would you be in a different place today? I know I would. Probably a better place. I'm sure glad he does give second chances. Now, imagine if we could learn to be the person who gives second chances to others. Imagine if we could learn to be the one that gives the benefit of the doubt. Would there be more peace in our family? If everybody at work gave everybody else the benefit of the doubt, gave them a second chance, would there be more peace at work? Would there be less back, backstabbing? Would people get along better? Would more get accomplished? Sure it would. So that's my prayer for you today, right? Is that we, for all of us, that we learn to be that. We learn to be that person who, who understands that people aren't always going to get it right the first time because I'm not always going to get it right the first time. And then I give people the benefit of the doubt in my relationships at work, in my relationships in my family. Because God goes to great lengths to get to give people who don't deserve it a second chance, which we see over and over again. And this story so well illustrates. Ahab and Jezebel didn't deserve a chance, a chance, given the things they've been doing. But God gave it to them anyway. And that's the story of the Bible. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word and the, the freedom to come and worship. Father, help us to walk away from here today being a different person. Help us to walk into our jobs and into our lives tomorrow determined to be the person who gives second chances because you gave us one. Thank you for your son Jesus that he provided the ultimate solution to the problem of our own fickleness. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.